to have us over for a, for a meal or you know to, to say goodbye and to uh, to treat us so well and uh, you know don't make it too much of a big deal you'll just you'll only boost our egos so um, you know we'll be back we'll be back uh, just about this time next year you know every time in our line of work uh, there's always that every so often uh, a time to say goodbye at least for a short period. Uh, we have to say our goodbyes, but uh, you know we fly over the ocean, and we and uh, in another sense we say hellos. You know we uh, have friends and family. We have boys, three boys that we haven't seen in four years. Uh, haven't seen. Here I go. <laughs> uh, haven't seen face to face. So really looking forward to seeing them and spending time with them th next year and celebrating Christmas with them and just. Uh, one of our boys is going to get married while we're there. Another is thinking about it. <laughs> He's just started dating. Um, but uh, it's going to be exciting. So, um, And then we'll say goodbye to them. We'll fly back over the ocean, and we'll say hello to you again about this time next year. So, uh, yeah, well, there's another goodbye, isn't there? Yeah, and we're going to leave Anna at Bob Jones University to uh, complete a degree. I think she wants to, at least she's thinking right now about going into nursing. And so she'll spend four years there and we'll fly back without her. So Sarah will be the only one we'll have. So she'll get lots of attention. So uh, that's going to be an emotional time too. It always is uh, when you let go of one of your kids. So uh, I'm sure a lot of you know that or will experience that in the future. So uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Now, uh, I guess you just recently got the, the newsletter, but just in case you hadn't had a chance to read it, I'll tell the story again. Uh, how many of you have actually experienced this? Now, I haven't experienced it much here in Australia, uh, but uh, I certainly got it from time to time when, it, when I was in the States. Uh, we would get a letter in the post, and in that letter, in huge, bold lettering, uh, uh, in, in some kind of... Uh, uh, transparent uh, screen, uh, there's this phrase on the front of the envelope uh, that says something like this, you are the guaranteed winner of $1 million. Now, I guess the first time we got it, we were, uh, we probably excitedly, you know, ripped open the, uh, the envelope uh, to check what was inside, and if, uh, if we hadn't looked closely, we would have actually thought we'd won a million dollars, but uh, sometimes in really small, fine print, above that, uh, that statement that you've won a million dollars, sometimes hidden by maybe a flap in the envelope or something, you don't see it until you open it up, is a small little phrase that says something like this, if yours is the winning number. Okay, and we think, oh, that's clever. No? Uh, in fact, um, we actually got a phone call once telling us that we'd won a trip to some island in the Caribbean. And that got us excited, okay? We spent a half an hour on the phone giving this, this operator our details and everything else. And uh, she finally comes to the end of it. She says, okay, now all we need to do to finalize your holiday is we need you to send us $2,500. Well, apparently they'd forgotten to tell us that it was not a free We'd not want a free holiday to the Caribbean. And so uh, as quick as I answered the phone, I said, no thanks, and we hung up on them, and that was it. Now, 
actually these things are advertising gimmicks and tricks that they use to, to, to try to get you into the front door so that they can sell you something that they want to sell you. And you know, a lot of people are tricked into spending their hard-earned cash uh, through these gimmicks and through these tricks. They're tricked into doing that, uh, into, uh, into spending their hard-earned money for something that uh, these people had uh, kind of lured them or tricked them into the front door to buy. Now, there's one thing I want you to notice as we look at Luke chapter 9, and it's really throughout the Gospels, uh, as we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, one thing that you'll never see is Jesus uh, using things like techniques and tricks and gimmicks to try to get people to come to him. As a matter of fact, oftentimes Jesus made it difficult. He, he proposed it as a difficult thing to, to come to him and to follow him. In fact, discouraged people sometimes. In fact, it's, interest, it's interesting. When Jesus, uh, Jesus, when he calls people to come to him, he is blatantly honest and forthright about what exactly what he's calling them to do. Now, there's this rich young ruler that you'll come to in Luke chapter 18 who comes to Jesus and basically says this, I want to follow you. Tell me how, what I can do. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Have you kept them all? And basically the man says this. He says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Uh, and Jesus says to him, you still lack one thing. He says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And then you can come and follow me. And the man went away. And the disciples were shocked. You could probably see the gears turning in their mind, and they're probably thinking this, Jesus, you had this guy, you had this fish on the hook, and you couldn't reel him in. You let him go. Now, here's somebody that says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And what do you do? Well, Jesus says, no, you've got to do something before you can follow me. And over and over and over again, Jesus told people honestly what it truly meant to follow him. He stated it outright. In fact, Luke chapter 9 here, if you look at verse 23, Jesus states this to his disciples very plainly when he says this, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, that's not a gimmick, right? That's not a trick. That's an open, honest statement about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it, it says an awfully lot, right? Jesus says, do you really want to follow me? He says, then it's going to cost you. Now, what will it cost to follow Jesus? Well, basically his answer is it will cost you everything. Everything you are, everything you have, everything. No more and no less. He didn't mince any words. Right? He told them very straightly what it really meant to follow him. 
And so we see it's a very costly exchange. But as we'll see and as we'll study in this passage this morning, it's an exchange that is well worth it. Now, what do we get in return? You know, to follow Jesus means up giving, every, giving up everything, everything we have, everything we are, but what we get is actually everything he is. Right? He gives us his life. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us his inheritance in heaven, in eternity. And so we gain something that is far, far greater than we could ever hold on to ourselves. Uh, far, far greater than anything we could ever give up. And best of all, it's something that we can never, ever lose. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? It is. Now this morning, we're going to be taking a look at three things uh, uh, that we're going to learn here about following Jesus. We're going to see, first of all, uh, that uh, following Jesus means fully embracing who he is. In other words, you fully embrace the person of Christ. You're going to see that in verses 18 through 20 here. The second thing we're going to look at is that following Jesus means you embrace the purpose of Christ. You'll find that in verses 21 and 22. Now, you know, that you understand that he came to suffer and he came to die for our sins and to rise from the dead. That's the whole reason why he came. He didn't come just to work miracles. He didn't come just to give us a, a, a bunch of cute stories or to teach us some lessons or to uh, tell us how to live. That's not the only reason he came. Right? He came with that one goal in mind, and that was to suffer and to die and to be buried and to raise again the third day for our sins in our place. And the third thing uh, that you see is that following Jesus means you embrace the call of Christ. You'll find that in verses 23 through 26. He says, come and follow me. And when you become a believer, you say, Lord, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. And I'm going to follow you with all of my heart and with all of my life. Now, that's, uh, that, that's what it means. Now, let's take a look at each of these individually. Roman numeral number one. First of all, let's take a look at the person of Christ. Embracing the person of Christ. And if you look at verses 18 through 20, you'll see it says here, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. Well, some say Elijah, and others say one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Now, notice there are three opinions given of exactly uh, what they think who Jesus Christ is. Of course, that first opinion, well, maybe he's John the Baptist. That second opinion, well, maybe he's 
Elijah. And then others say, well, maybe he's one of the, the prophets of old who's risen from the dead. But I want you to notice in all three of these opinions that there's something going on in the people's minds. Something they're struggling with. Because they're struggling with the fact, how can Jesus do all the things that he's doing? There's something special. There's something unique about him. Maybe even something supernatural about him that they can't explain. They can't explain it about Jesus. Now, uh, maybe they don't understand all of who Jesus is, but they know that there's something special here. Special and unique about him. So the only way they can explain it is that, well, maybe he's one of these, uh, one of these dead guys who's come back from the, from the dead, from the grave. And I want you to know that even today, this idea of Jesus being something other than the Son of God come in the flesh is very prevalent in our world today, isn't it? I mean, through his actions and through his words, Jesus Christ himself said uh, and, and told us that he was God. He was the very son of God. He claimed to be God. And if he was not God, I guess then, when, then we can only come to two conclusions about him, right? Now, one of those conclusions would be that maybe he was totally his rocker. You know, that he thought he was the son of God, but he wasn't really. In that case, well, he's just a crazy man, right? And now, would you follow a crazy man? Would you give your life to a crazy man? Yes, he may have said some good things. Yes, he may have done some good things, but commit your life to him? Now, you'd, be, you, you, you'd be following a crazy man because he claimed to be God when he wasn't. Of course, the second option is that if he claimed to be God and he knew he was not God, then he's just a big liar. You know, he has performed one of the biggest hoaxes this world has ever seen. He has fooled us. He has performed that kind of thing. And, you know, the things I mentioned to you at the beginning... Those little things are nothing compared to what Jesus has done to every one of us if he is not the very son of God. If he claims to be God and he knows he's not God, he's just a big liar. Now, would you commit your life to a liar? Would you follow a liar with all your heart? Would you give like the disciples did? Would you give your very life for a liar, for a big, fat, Liar? Now, you've probably heard this before. Some people will put it this way. He, he's either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. And you can't put him in the category of a, a great teacher or a great man or a great prophet if he's not the very son of God. Come in the flesh. Now, notice what Jesus does here. Because he says... Well, who do the crowds say that I am? But then he turns to his disciples and he says, okay, how about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And Peter quickly answers that question by saying the Christ of God. Now, this is a very significant question 
And it's a very significant answer here. And it's an answer that we know Peter didn't come to through his own means or through his own wisdom or knowledge or understanding. Now, to show you what I mean, I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 16 uh, and verse 13. You can turn there along with me. It's up on the screen. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. says uh, It's a parallel passage here. It says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is telling Peter here that he didn't simply come to this conclusion about who he is in his own accord. Right? It's God the Father who has done something in his heart to help him realize, to truly realize who Jesus is. And, and, and friends, that is what conversion is, isn't it? Right? It's not just an intellectual decision about Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's, it's a revelation from God that takes place in your mind and in your heart that tells you, uh, that, that opens your heart and causes you to say, I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that's what being a believer is all about. It isn't a matter of trying to intellectually sort through this thing and maybe figure out who Jesus is and say, well, maybe, well, I guess he's the, he's the son of God. I guess he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. No, it's just, it's just not a matter of just having the right opinion about Jesus Christ. Did you know you can have the right opinion about Christ and still not be a believer? It's a matter of personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, to him as Lord of your life. You see, to be Christ's follower, there needs to be a profession of faith that goes beyond uh, being a great man or being a great teacher or being a great prophet uh, that goes on to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. <clears throat> In other words, you're the Messiah. You are the heavenly redeemer who came down to earth who, to give your life on my behalf. And I'm going to rest my whole life in this one fact, that it, and that is that you are who you say you are. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, in this world, uh, the fact that people believe that Jesus is something other than the Son of God is pretty prevalent, even in religion, isn't it? I mean, that's what's so unique about Christianity. You think about, uh, I don't know, you think about the Muslim religion. Yes, they believe Jesus is a great man, that Jesus is a prophet, but don't ever say that Jesus is the very Son of God come in the flesh. They won't say that. That's what makes Christianity so unique uh, apart from all the other religions in the world. Second thing I want you to see is not only his person, 
But I want you to see his purpose. His purpose. You'll find that in verses 21 and 22. Jesus makes two pretty startling statements here. Look at what he says in verse 21. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. No one. Don't tell anybody. So it's a warning. He warns them not to tell anyone. And you know, by now his disciples, especially Peter now, who truly understand who Jesus is, oh, I bet they're dying to go out and tell everyone they meet. And yet Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Now why? Why does Jesus tell them? Why does Jesus tell them not to tell anyone? Well, at this point, well, Jesus may be, could very well be trying to keep his popularity in check for the moment. Because at this point, what do the people around him, the people who are following him, really want to do with him? They want to make him king, right? They want to overthrow the Romans, and they want to set up a throne, and they want to put Jesus on that throne to take over as king. That's not the kind of king that Jesus has come to be. Right? That Jesus didn't want his disciples going out and telling everyone, hey, look, here's the Messiah. Come and follow him. Let's set him up. And having the wrong idea about why he came to save. Jesus didn't come here to be their king. Now, later on, he will. And he will set up a throne, and he will rule the nations. But at this point, he came for that one purpose. He came to suffer. He came to die for the sins of mankind. And he didn't want them to proclaim him as the Messiah uh, and all these people to flock to him for the wrong reasons. So he came for that one reason. And that one reason he's going to give right now in verse 22 as we read that. In verse 22, he says this. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, notice what he said here. The Son of Man must suffer. It's something that has to be done. Now, in English, we can tend to water that word down a little bit. But in the Greek, it's very emphatic. It's very strong. It's that Greek word, spelled. Uh, you can spell it in English, D-E-I. It's the word dei, de, uh, dei. And the word dei actually means an absolute necessity. In other words, it's not... It's not a secondary thing, right? It's not, a, it's not simply a part of what Jesus came to do. It is the very thing uh, that is absolutely necessary that he came to do to suffer, to die, and to rise again from the dead the third day, right? It's the whole purpose for which he comes. It is the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is the reason why he came to earth. Well, the third thing I want you to see, we're going to spend a little time on this one. The third thing, Roman numeral number three, I want you to see his call. We must embrace his call on our lives. Now, notice the change that kind of takes here because Jesus uh, ceases to speak directly maybe to the apostles and he begins directly speaking to everyone who could hear him. Because uh, at the beginning of verse 23, it begins with these words, Then he said to them all. 
Now let's read verses 23 through 26 here. Starting in verse 23. Uh, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of his holy angels. So there are three statements that Jesus makes about following him, about his his calling on our lives. Of course, first of all, he says, let him deny himself. Secondly, take up his cross daily. And then third, follow me. Now, in one sense, all three of these are very similar. I mean, there are they're kind of restatements of basically the, the same thing, but there are different aspects of each uh, of these things that Jesus is emphasizing and putting him into these three terms. But in the end of it all, uh, denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following him are all part of following Christ. But it begins with denying yourself. You know, you can't follow Christ unless you deny yourself. You can't follow Christ Unless you take up your cross. Then you notice he says. If anyone desires to come after me. Let him deny himself. He doesn't say deny your sins. He doesn't say deny your pleasures. He says deny yourself. So you see so many times we think. You know what if I could only. Uh, get control of these particular sins or maybe this one particular sin in my life. Well, the, if I could only get uh, victory over them, then I can follow Jesus. Well, Jesus says, you don't need victory. You don't need control over your sins. You don't need to deny your sins. You, de- you in fact, need to deny yourself. You have to give up yourself, not just your sin. Now, your sin will come as you give him yourself, as you give him your life. That's included in all that, but it's more than just giving up certain sins in order to come to Christ. It's giving up your own self in coming to Christ. It's really a matter of who is in control of your life. Are you in control of your life? Or is Christ in control of your life? It means making Christ Jesus the Lord of your life. It means coming to the place where you say, you know what, you alone are Lord and I will follow you with all my heart, with all my soul. I will bow my knee to you, and I will follow you with all my heart. Now, why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone want to do that? Well, they would do it because the exchange is well worth it. It's well worth it. Jesus says if you hang on to your own life, you're going to lose it. And if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to save it. Then he goes on to say, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? In other words, the exchange is a good deal. right? You give up everything you are, but you gain everything that he is. In Matthew chapter 13, 
verses 44 through 46, Jesus tells two short parables. And one is a parable about a man who finds a treasure in an open field. And when he finds the treasure, he, I guess he covers it back over and he goes out and he sells everything and he, and he buys that field. In other words, the treasure, uh, you know, he, 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 the treasure is worth more than everything he has in life. So he sells everything he has, everything he owns, so that he can buy that field and he can have that particular treasure. And Jesus says also that the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant who goes out looking for uh, good pearls. And he, when he finds that one pearl of great value, he goes and sells everything he has so that he can buy that one pearl. And he says, you see, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like when you realize everything that Jesus offers you and you see everything that you have to offer and Jesus says, I'll trade you even. And you say, whoa, that's a good deal. I'll take it. You know what happens when you do that? He gives you a new life. He makes you a new creature. It doesn't mean you have to go and sell everything you have in order to, to follow Christ, not by any means, but rather everything is already yours because you are his. Your whole life is under his control. Well, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, when I look at my life, I can say that I was of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. According to the law, I was blameless. And he keeps adding up and stacking up all these good things in his life. All the things in the plus column of his life. But then he says, you know what? When I came to know Christ, all of those things over there in the plus column, I counted as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. He says, I'd stack up all those things, all those good things in my life to which I can look at and I can say, look, I deserve uh, eternity. I deserve to go to heaven. I deserve God's favor. And he says, I'd take them and I'd throw them on the rubbish bin in comparison to the vast value of knowing Christ as his Savior. Because you see, the surpassing value of Jesus Christ exceeds everything that you have in life and much, much more. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, deny yourself, follow me. See, you have to come to the uh, to place where you deal with the fact that you're living your life apart from him. You're living your life by your own rules. You're not following him. You have to come to the point where one, uh, you know, to the place where you say one day, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And he's going to be Lord of my life now. Well, the second thing he says here, he says, take up your cross daily. Now, the idea of taking up the cross is the idea of death. Now, think about this, you know. 
In the ancient world, if you saw somebody walking down the road, dragging a cross, you wouldn't think he was going to a party, would you? You'd know that that man, that woman, whoever it was, was going to die. They were going to be executed. And the New Testament talks about identifying ourselves with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And really, that's, uh, that's a picture. Uh, the baptism is a picture uh, of that very thing. You know, a while back, we, we baptized several of our, of our people. And they, in fact, wanted to, uh, that, that baptism was a symbolizing, an identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A public profession of that. They identified with that. And it reminds us of the passage in Romans chapter 6, actually. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul says, Or do you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of, uh, of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. And that's the picture that baptism gives. That we've died to ourselves and now we now are raised and live with life in Christ. We are living as unto Christ. Now Paul puts it this way. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son uh, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, yes, you keep on living, but it's Christ who lives in you. It's Christ who controls you, and you're living under his control, and you have a new life to live in following him. But it also says this. It also says, take up your cross daily. Daily. In other words, it's something that you do on a regular basis. On a day-by-day basis. Following Christ is a day-by-day is a -day decision. It doesn't mean you become a Christian every day. Uh, but it is a reminder that every day I am a follower of Christ. And every day I should live as a follower of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. He says, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our responsibility is to say every day, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, whatever you want for my life today, do that. What you want me to do, Lord, I want to do that. I want to live this day for your honor and for your glory. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, take up your cross daily. It's identifying with the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thirdly, he says this. He says, follow me. Be devoted to me. Put your trust in me. To follow Christ is to, is to quit following our own agenda Right? And it's to follow his. I want to follow your life, Christ. 
not my own. It's like if we were in cars. We, maybe uh, you and I were in cars, and yeah, we were going someplace, and you didn't know where you were going, so I said, I jumped in my car and said, okay, follow me, right? And you're following me. If I turned right, would you turn left? No, right? I mean, what does it mean to follow someone? It, you know, it, it, if I uh, went forward, you'd go forward. If I turned right, you turned right. If I turned left, you turned left. If I speed up, uh, you speed up. If I slow down, you speed. Uh, you slow down. <laughs> Don't speed up. Um, if I stopped, you stop. You know, it's all part of it. You do what I do, right? You follow. And to follow Christ is to say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I want what you have for my life. Now, again, why would a person be willing to do this? Why would a person be willing to give up their very lives to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, verses 24 and 25 talk about the fact that, of course, if we want to save our life, we're going to lose it. And if we lose our life for his sake, we're going to save it. And then he goes on to say, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Now, one author compares everything that we can get, everything we can accumulate in life to empty bubbles. Think about bubbles. You know, they're pretty. They don't last very long. They're not worth very much. And he goes on to say that even the things we have in life now, when we die, we're not going to have them anymore. And we're going to lose them. Death comes and snatches it all away from us. Now think about that. What can you take with you when you die? Nothing. Even if you could gain the whole world, you won't have it forever. There's a quote that's often attributed to Jim Elliott, a missionary who was killed with a, a number of other men uh, by the Aka Indians in South America. And the quote goes something like this. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that for a minute. Huh? Would you be willing to give up on something that you're going to lose anyways? To gain something that you will never lose? That's what Jesus is saying here. It's a pretty good deal. That's what he's saying. What would it profit you if you could have everything in this world and you lost your own soul? Not worth it. It's not a good deal. It's a bad exchange. You see, Jesus is saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Passage, we've seen a number of things, a number of lessons that we can learn about following Christ. I just want to point out a couple to you here at the end. Uh, just point out some quickly. The first one is this. Number one, who Jesus is 
is really a black and white issue. In other words, either he's either Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, or he's not. Right? Either Jesus is the Savior, or he's not. Either Jesus is Lord of your life, or he's not. It's plain and it's simple. And that's a decision that you have to make. Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? What are you going to do with me? And that's the critical issue, right? Not what, it, not what does everybody else say, but what do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? What are you going to do about me, he says. But it's also true, number two, that who you are is a black and white issue. Right? You, you see, you are either in Christ or you are outside of Christ. There's not an in-between. Either you're a follower of Christ or you are not a follower of Christ. Because you see, if you're not a follower of Christ, it doesn't matter what advantages you have in life. If you have all the wealth in the world, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? None of it matters. What matters is what you do with Jesus Christ. Jesus came for this purpose, and that was that he would suffer and he would die and he would be raised again to pay for our sins. What will you do with that? And he says this, if anyone, if anyone desires to come after me, would you come after him? Do that? Put your life in his hands? Let him have control. If anyone would come after him, he promises a good exchange. All that you are or all that he is. He also promises all that would come to him eternal life. That's a great deal. Lord, thank you again for this time in your word. We thank you for sending your son, Lord Jesus Christ, who came for the purpose of saving wretched sinners like us. And he came as a man, a lowly human being, to die, to, to, to suffer, and to die, and to be buried, and to rise again the third day, according to the scriptures, so that we might have a chance of reconciliation with our Heavenly Father, so that we might have a home in heaven, so that we can be saved, so that we might have the blessed opportunity of following our blessed Lord and Savior. So Lord, I'm not uh, going to take it, uh, advantage of the fact that maybe going to take it for granted that everyone here knows the Lord Jesus Christ as, as their Savior, or even uh, has the inclination to follow you this morning. But Lord, may today be uh, a, a turning point through the words that you give us uh, in, in the scriptures here, 
of, of what it means to follow you. May it be an awakening for every one of us that we might, uh, that we might deny ourselves, that we might take up our cross daily, to know what it's like to serve you and to follow you and to live our life in you. Lord, may we, each of us, take this word and to apply it and to live it out in our lives, even in this week and the weeks to come. We thank you for your word today, in Jesus' name.